We, uh, we're going to continue on uh, this morning in the book of Revelation. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 17. I titled this morning's message, The Seal Judgments, Part 2. And uh, we're going to continue on looking at uh, the breaking of these seals uh, this morning. You might want to even stick your finger in Matthew chapter 24 because we're going to be looking back and forth between Matthew chapter 24 and, uh, and here in Revelation chapter 6. The church, and I, I shared this, uh, I believe, even the last time, that the church uh, is not in focus in the book of Revelation. Who's in focus in the book of Revelation is the nation of Israel. Israel is the focal point, if you want to say, of the book of Revelation. Jesus is really the focal point of Revelation, but the focus is upon the nation of Israel. And why is that important? It's important for us to note that because it has everything to do with how we interpret the book of Revelation. Who is it speaking to? What is its purpose? What is being accomplished through this seven-year tribulation period of time? It's not just because God wants to, uh, to pour out a bunch of judgments upon this world. It's because God has a particular purpose in the nation of Israel and what God is going to accomplish. God is going to bring full circle what he intended it to be and he's going to do that through the nation of Israel. The church, I believe, is going to be removed by the time we have come here to chapter 6. Chapter 4, which I believe is where the rapture of the church takes place, uh, I believe that going forward from chapter 6 all the way to the end, really, or chapter 19 of Revelation, uh, you don't see the church. The church is no longer here. So when we're sharing, and what I'm sharing this morning, about the, the seal judgments, uh, keep in mind that we, the church, those who know Christ, are not here during this time. But I do believe that it helps us in understanding God's prophetic timetable. That it, it applies and it is applying to the nation of Israel in the events that are to come. One of the important chapters that I looked at two weeks ago was Matthew chapter 24. And the other scripture that we looked at was the prophecy of Daniel 9. Both of those are important and we might say key passages to our understanding of the events to come. We, um, we can also see, and we're going to see that this morning, that Matthew chapter 24 and Revelation chapter 6, that they really parallel each other. We're going to see the words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples there on that day. And then we're also going to read 
this outpouring of these seal judgments in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to see how they parallel each other. Keep in mind as we're looking at this first set of judgments called the seal judgments that if you were to have the church in here in this chapter you would have much to be concerned about. Uh, you would be uh, and should be concerned because of really what is going to come down upon this earth. It's possible that after that, and there's nothing to say that when the rapture of the church transpires, when that take day takes place, that immediately the tribulation begins. There's nothing that tells us that in scripture, that the rapture happens, and then the next moment or the next day, the seven-year tribulation period begins. There could be and it's very probable that there could be a, a, a period of time. I wouldn't think that it would be a long period of time, but a period of time before that tribulation period will begin, the seven-year tribulation period. It's important to note that because there are certain events that have to take place before the seven-year uh, tribulation period begins. And I believe that it starts with a covenant. It starts with the man of peace, the antichrist, the man of sin, the lawless one. All these various names that are given to the antichrist, it starts with a covenant. It, come, it starts with a peace agreement that he is going to make, I believe, with the nation of Israel. And it's very possible that in this peace agreement, that the Jews are going to have now the ability to rebuild their temple. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. This was the first thing that Jesus warned his disciples about when he sat down and he was answering the question about when he was going to return and when the end of the age would come. The first thing that Jesus told his disciples was that deception and false Christ would come. If we look at the opening of Revelation chapter 6, if you notice that the first of the four apocalypse, the four horsemen, the first of the four horsemen is the white horse. The white horse, we might say, is the horse of deception. It's going to be, I believe, the Antichrist. And as we read, he goes out conquering to conquer. He has a bow in his hand. He has a crown upon his head. And he's going forth conquering to conquer. One of the beliefs of many Orthodox Jews today is that they believe that when Messiah comes, that he's going to allow them to rebuild their temple. You see, the, the Jews do not have a temple today. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Titus and his army. That temple was taken down stone by stone. 
They have been without a temple for all of these years. They believe that when Messiah comes, he's going to allow them to rebuild their temple. And that is one of the key uh, things that many Orthodox Jews are looking for today. Very interesting that when the Antichrist comes on with this peace agreement, this covenant that he makes, and he makes this covenant for a period of seven years, that I believe it could involve the ability for Israel to be able to rebuild their temple. This again is going to be an area of deception for the nation of us, something that Jesus was warning his disciples about. We read in, um, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that, I believe, was a pro prophecy concerning the temple being destroyed in 70 A.D. And so a third temple needs to be rebuilt. I believe that temple will be rebuilt. I believe that it will be rebuilt on that temple mount. We don't know. Right now there's that uh, the mosque that is there on the temple mount today. We don't know if that mosque will still be standing. We don't know if there's going to be the ability to have the mosque there as well as a temple next to it. We don't know what that's going to look like. But somehow, in some way, I believe that there is going to be a third temple, what we would call a third temple, or the tribulation temple, that is going to be uh, rebuilt during the tribulation period. I would say that it's probably going to happen closer to the beginning of the tribulation period, possibly under this peace agreement that is established by the Antichrist. We read in also in, in Daniel 9.27, and this is why I believe that this temple is going to be rebuilt probably close to the beginning of the tribulation period. It says in Daniel 9.27, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. He's speaking about the Antichrist. He's going to bring an end to the sacrifice. That's what every practicing Jew would want today is to have their temple so that they could go back to sacrificing again. They believe they're waiting for their Messiah to bring in that kingdom age and come back and allow them to rebuild their temple. We already read two weeks ago from Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 and 2. It's the opening of the first seal. Let's read it again. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering to conquer. The first seal, the white horse, what I believe to be the Antichrist or the man of deception is going to be the first 
to come on the scene. And I believe that it's going to be at the establishment of that peace agreement that is going to start the seven-year clock, if we could say the 70th week of Daniel, that it's going to be begin with that peace agreement. We know that the uh, Antichrist himself, though he may be alive today, by the way, uh, though he may be alive and well today, he may not even know that he is going to be that one. Uh, because what we do know of the Antichrist, at some point he's going to be possessed by Satan himself. Just like Judas Iscariot, the night that he betrayed the Lord, it said Satan entered into him. I believe that the Antichrist is going to be possessed by Satan himself and also having the ability to come up with this peace plan, to come up with this covenant, to come up with something that will bring deception upon the nation of Israel. It's why Jesus warned them in that first part of Matthew 24 that they would not be deceived because many Antichrists are going to come. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, the Apostle Paul wrote this, concerning what it is that is holding back this revealing of who the Antichrist is. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, And now you know what is restraining that he, and that he, I believe, is the Antichrist, that he may be revealed in his own time. The Antichrist now has not been revealed to this world, nor has it been revealed to the nation of Israel. But there is going to come a point, and I believe the point is when the church is removed, which I believe is the restraining force, that the Antichrist is then going to be revealed to this world. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and only he, the he there, I think we have it on the screen there, the he, if you notice there, it's capitalized. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. I believe that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells inside of you and I. The Holy Spirit that lives in the church. When the church is removed and the Holy Spirit in the church is removed from this earth, then the, the restraining force, we might call it, only, now, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then it, look what it says in verse 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed. When the church is removed, then the Antichrist, I believe, is going to be revealed to this world. Again, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. This is the beginning of the, I believe, of the tribulation period. Jesus said to his disciples, answering that question, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. I want you to keep in mind that when Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking to his fellow Jews. He's speaking to the nation of Israel, really, here in this passage. He's not speaking to the church. 
He's not speaking to us New Testament saints. That he's speaking to Israel, to the nation of Israel, who during this time is going to be subjection, subjected to deception. For many will come in my name, he tells them, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Jesus finishes those words by saying, All of these are the beginning of sorrows. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. That are to come. What are how do birth cranes work? They intensify, they get stronger, they get closer together. And when those birth pains start and that delivery is on the verge, there's nothing stopping it. Jesus says, All of these things are just the beginning of sorrows. That's where I would place Revelation chapter 6. We come this morning. To the second seal, which brings forth the fiery red horse, which I see as symbolizing war and bloodshed. Look at your Bibles, Revelation 6.3. When Jesus opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature, that's an angelic being by the way, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. The first thing that we see in this verse is that the judgments are being orchestrated by God. All of the judgments that we see transpire, the three sets of judgments that we see transpiring throughout the seven-year tribulation period, they're orchestrated by God. They come from the hand of God. This is God's judgment upon this world. We see that these judgments that are orchestrated by God, they wouldn't happen unless God granted them. Look what it says in verse 4. It was granted to the rider, to the one who sat on the horse, to take peace from the earth. And we also read that it was given to him a great sword. So who's that coming from? Who is the great sword coming from? It's coming from God's authority, God's sovereignty, God's ability to even use this writer to bring judgment upon this earth. But it's God who is granting the writer to be able to take peace from the earth. It is God who is granting 
the ability to be able to, for this rider to take up the great sword. We also see something of this sword that was given to him. It doesn't just say that it was a sword, and that is really a common word throughout scripture, machera. Machera was like a small dagger, like a 16 to 18 inch dagger that would have been used in warfare, like a soldier would use. But this writer, we're told, was given a great sword. And that great sword is megas, is what it means for large, a large megas machera, which pictures this writer as coming on the scene as more of an executioner than he is of a soldier that is in battle. We started chapter 6 with the white horse who brings peace. Deception, and I might call it pseudo-peace. He comes on the scene as one who is bringing peace, bringing a covenant, making a covenant of peace, having a plan that the, that the world and, and primarily the nation of Israel will buy into. They'll believe the lie. They'll get caught up into it. Deception. But it's deception without bloodshed. You see, that, that first rider coming on the scene, conquering to conquer, he doesn't even have an arrow in the bow. He's just simply going out into this world really to bring deception upon the people of God. But now we see the Lord allowing this next horse, this fiery red horse, to come on the scene and to take peace from the earth. Before, the, the opposite of Peace is what? War. The opposite of peace is war and death. And this second horse that comes on the scene is doing that. People killing one another, it says. And this rider being given a great sword in which to kill also. We don't know the exact details of what this is going to look like. But I will tell you this, that I believe that it's real possible that towards the beginning of the tribulation period, the war, and we'll look at this at another time, but the battle, or we'll call it the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39, I believe is probably going to happen at, towards the beginning portion of the tribulation period. It, it, it's going to be, some, some people put it before, I believe that that war or that battle, and if you read in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you'll read what that battle looks like. Every man turning his sword against himself, and it's going to be uh, where God is going to intervene on the mountains of Israel there and protect, divinely protect Israel at that time. Here we have this fiery red horse in the beginning of the tribulation period, coming on the scene, 
battles that are going to begin, and I believe that this one particular battle is going to be one of three major battles that is going to be fought during the tribulation period. Before the tribulation begins, and into the beginning of the tribulation period, this pseudo-peace, this great deception, this false security that is going to be upon this world at the time, I believe is going to be brought to a halt. It's going to happen when that second horseman comes on the scene. Again, back in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 6, uh, we, Jesus says to his, to his disciples, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It appears that from Jesus' words that it starts with small wars. It starts with skirmishes and civil unrest. And then it turns into major conflicts. And conflicts of a, a, of a world war proportion. Nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's when you're moving into the realm of world war type of, of war. This world really has seen World War I, World War II. But I believe that this next set of wars that's going to come during the tribulation period is going to be war like this world has never seen before. It's going to be, uh, I believe, and possibly begin one of those battles, as I already said, Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. And the, uh, the second one that we read about is in Revelation chapter 7, uh, that is going to be in the middle of the tribulation period, that is going to follow the desolation of, of, of abomination when the Antichrist sets up his image in the temple. And it's going to, at that point, there's going to be an all-out war against God's people. It's when they're going to flee, I believe, to the area of Basra, to the area of Petra. And there's going to be an all-out battle that is going to begin at that point, led up by the Antichrist and his armies. The third battle that we read about in the book of Revelation is the armies of the world that are going to be gathered in the valley of Megiddo in the last battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, verse 19. And so we have these major battles. So when we're reading about the second horseman coming out, the, the fiery red horse, the horse that really is going to take peace from the earth, this is just the beginning of what is yet to come. Jesus says, even of these events, that this is just the beginning of sorrows. Just think of that. 
These are just the beginning, and we'll see as we go through these seal judgments. The third seal that we see in uh, chapter 6 here in Revelation 6-5 is the black horse, a symbol of famine. And uh, famine, as we are probably familiar or know, is that famine typically follows war. Famine is a result, quite often, of wars. In Revelation 6-5 we read, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And look, I, so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Not only will there be death from war, unprecedented death that is also going to follow through famine. Famine following war. Famine is defined as extreme scarcity of food. What's interesting about the days that we're living in currently is that we have wars going on all over this world right now, don't we? We have a major war going on between Russia and Ukraine right now. And just with that war there, just to give you a glimpse of what it will be when this world is ushered into the seven-year tribulation period, the famines that we could potentially see, even as a church, even in the days that we're living in right now, are great. I read during a United Nations a UN food security meeting that was held on June 24th of 2022. The UN Security General, Antonio Guterres, he warned of a global hunger crisis. He also mentioned the real risk of multiple famines being declared in 2022 with even worse famines to be expected in 2023. He said, we face an unprecedented global hunger crisis in our world. We're all, this world really is on the verge of even great famine that we may see even as we're here as a church, even now. Another post that I read from the EU Times dated March 10th of 2022. Global famine to plague Earth from 2022 to 2024, it is set in motion and it cannot be stopped. That was the headline as they got into the article. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, 7, and there will be famines. We need to listen 
what Jesus was saying to his disciples, I believe, parallels what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 6 with the opening of these sealed judgments. We're told in, in verse 6, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. And it doesn't even say who this voice was from. It's probably God the Father. But the rider of this black horse has a pair of scales in his hands, which I think gives us some insight into what the rider's purposes are. This black horse, this rider with the with these scales held in his hands. It's interesting as I was looking up about famine. And scales are, are, are for measuring and they're for weighing things out. And John hears this other voice that is saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. You see, a quart of wheat was about one-eighth of a bushel. And it was the daily allowance of a servant or a slave. Barley was a cheaper uh, grain than wheat, but it was less nutritious. And it allowed some people to be able to buy in more quantity, but it wasn't as nutritious as the other. Three quarts for a penny. In Greek, that's a denarius. It was a day's wages for a laborer in John's time. That's going to be unprecedented famine. There's famine all over the world today. There's people starving in our world today. But the famine that we're reading of here, I believe, is going to be unprecedented famine. It's interesting that if you um, follow what's going on even in the Ukraine, this battle that Russia has with Ukraine, what's interesting is that Russia is the number one supplier in the world for fertilizer. You know who's right up there at the top? Ukraine. Ukraine is a major producer of fertilizer that gets shipped around this world. You know who else is a major supplier of fertilizer? China. China is a major supplier of fertilizer. It's why what I've read to you from these articles about the coming famines that they're predicting. They're predicting that we're going to see something of significance this year. To what degree? To what that will look like? As a matter of fact, it's been said that what we are living on right now is just this year's crops, but wait till next year. Wait till there's not the fertilizer to plant the crops and see where this is going to turn. Look at our prices now. Look at food prices now. And we can see how quickly and how easily things could turn. Wait until the church is raptured. Wait until there's a complete disable, a, a whole 
upsettling of this earth with the church being removed, how quickly these things will come into the place. When wars begin and these battles begin and that brings on famine and with famine comes disease and pestilence, these things are going to, I believe, accelerate and happen in a manner in which we are not even able to wrap our head around now. April 4th, 2022. I read this article. The world food supply is at risk due to a global fertilizer shortage. Rising fertilizer prices and supply disruptions resulting from war and other hazards are now threatening the world's agricultural bounty. And with it, food security. Without enough fertilizer, farmers can't grow enough food. The fertilizer shortage is at the heart of various food crises emerging around the world. We see the signs, church. We're not in the tribulation period. We're not experiencing the, 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 uh, the horsemen right now. But these things are signs. The stage is being set. We can see the feasibility of these things coming to pass. We can see how that's real plausible during the tribulation period. And how it could be just with unprecedented magnitude that these things are going to come about. Things getting scarcer and harder to get. And this is only the beginning. We're only at the beginning of the outpouring of God's judgments. There's going to come another point within the tribulation period where the Antichrist is going to uh, be establishing a one world monetary system. It's going to be required for someone to have a mark. Some way of being able to have a mark upon their right hand or their forehead to be able to buy or to sell. There's going to be a a limiting of what people can get during that time. Food's going to be controlled. It's going to be rationed out. Food's going to get scarcer and harder to get. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Different opinions as to what that might be. Some see it as some of the luxuries that maybe the rich will still have access to. But the poor during this time will have no access to those things. Others see it as an abundant still of medicine and medical supplies that will be still available. I don't know the answer to it, but it tells us here, do not harm the oil and the wine. But in the middle of the tribulation period, in Revelation chapter 13... 
we're going to see by that time, by the middle of the tribulation period, that there's going to be the Antichrist who is going to have, at that point, complete control under a one-world government. There's going to be a one-world religion during the tribulation period. Remember, the church is gone. There's going to be the conglomeration of the religions that are there. And it's really going to be a satanic religion during that time, but it's going to be under the Antichrist, a one-world religion. And there's also going to be a one-world monetary system that is going to be happening by the middle of the tribulation period. It's hard, I think, for us as Christians when we read these things to really comprehend what these conditions are going to be like in this world. After the rapture of the church, how quickly things could change. Just, just remove the church from this world and, and just think of how dark and how quickly things will change on this earth. I looked up even on the internet the word famine and Wikipedia has the heading Famine scales. Inadequate food supplies. These famine scales are going to be what this world is going to experience in such a harsh way that this world has never seen before. The fourth seal that we see in our chapter 6 when it is broken, it brings forth the pale horse. It's really a yellowish green horse which speaks of death. One quarter, I want you to wrap your head around this, one quarter of the world population at the time will be killed. One quarter of this world's population will be killed. Revelation 6-7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. This pale horse now bringing forth death that will follow. It's been said that death claims the body and Hades claims the soul. This rider is the result, really, of the other three horsemen before it. We read in verse 8, it says, And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill. We're told that one quarter of the planet is given to them to kill with violence, with a sword. Keep in mind that when that fiery red horse of war comes out, 
It doesn't mean that that war all of a sudden just happens and then it ends. We're talking about successions. We're talking about a continual wars that are going to go on throughout the tribulation period. When the, the, the uh, black horse comes out in the famine, it's not going to be just that there's going to be famine for a month. It's going to be continued famines throughout the seven-year tribulation period. When it comes to death and the quarter of those that are given over, there's going to be multitudes of people that are going to be killed as a result of these plagues, these things that are coming down upon this earth. I want you to consider this, that the current world population right now is 7.9 billion people. 7.9 billion people in the world today. In the 1800s, there was one uh, estimated 1 billion people in the world. And today it's 7.9 billion people. One birth every nine seconds. And one death every 12 seconds. That's a, a gain of one person every 26 seconds of every day that is coming into this world. There are people that want to turn that around in our world today because they see that the end of that is going to lead to no good. There are people that want to see that ratio turn the other way where more people are dying than they're being born. It's why even in China they limit how many kids you can have. They're trying to control the population growth. But considering that this world has 7.9 billion people, a quarter of that, and this is just in the beginning of the tribulation period, 2 billion people die. 2 billion people. Just to wrap your head around what the size of that, that number means, in the nation of China. China has 1.5 billion people in China. It'd be like wiping out more than all of China. Every person in China, 2 billion people by this time. That's a lot of people. I mean, and that's just the beginning of the tribulation period. Jesus said again in Matthew 24, 7, and there will be famines, plural, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. I don't even think that I need to talk to you about pestilence. I don't even think that I need to talk to you about incurable diseases. And all you need to do is you just, you can go on if you believe half of it, but you can go on the CDC, you can read about all the incurable diseases in our world right now. War and famine and pestilence, they all go hand in hand. As soon as people aren't eating right, there's disease. 
And what we're going to see and what this world is going to see during the tribulation period is that each one of these things just follows another. And it brings forth death. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 9, we have the fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. John now, as he sees these seals being broken and opened, John sees the souls of those who have come to believe under the altar. Those that are going to be martyred during the tribulation period. Remember I shared with you that there is going to be a multitude which no man can number. From every tribe, tongue, nation and people. That are going to get saved during the tribulation period. God is going to still be pouring out his mercy upon this earth. And there will be many multitudes of people that are going to be saved during this time. But can you imagine having to live for Christ during this time? To, give a, to, to be a witness for Christ? You're going to have to, and many will... Not all, but many will have to give their life for Christ. John sees the souls of those who have come to believe under the altar. We know that when we get into chapter 7 next week, we're going to see the sealing of the 144,000, I believe, Jewish evangelists. And it's within chapter 7 that we read that scripture where John saw this multitude of people that were saved. It says, and after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they were clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we know that there is going to be a multitude of people saved during that time. Praise the Lord. And if you have family members, you have people that you love, this is why we want to say you need to accept Christ now. You need to know him now. Because that day, when that day comes, how hard it will be to live for Christ.
Some have asked, how is this judgment that we read here in this fifth seal, how is this judgment upon mankind? I think the judgment that we see from the voice of these martyrs is really going to be the cry of these martyrs as they cry out for vengeance upon those who have shed their blood. We're talking about thousands and who knows millions of people that might have to give their, their life up for Christ during this time. Deuteronomy 32.35 says that God says that vengeance is mine. Paul quotes from that in Romans 12.19. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We see these tribulation martyrs crying out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These tribulation martyrs, when they give their life up, they're going to have to remain in the grave until the end of the tribulation period where there will be another resurrection of those, those tribulation saints. We're told in verse 11 that they were given these white robes. A white robe obviously is a symbol of righteousness that is given to them by Jesus Christ. But they were told that they needed to wait. They needed to wait for their full redemption until the others who would be killed is complete. We can see from this verse that God knows that number, doesn't he? Until the number is complete. God knows exactly who that last person is. These martyred tribulation saints are not going to be even resurrected until the end of the seven year. That's why they're crying out. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and they'll kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. There's going to be a full attack against God's people Israel. And really upon anyone who refuses to take the mark, there's going to be a full-on attack against anybody that would name the name of Christ make a stand for the truth, there's going to be a bloodshed of those tribulation saints during this time. Revelation 6.12, the sixth seal. I looked, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, 
and the moon became blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. At this point, which I believe is still in the first part of the tribulation period, there's going to be a tremendous earthquake that is going to strike this planet Earth with such a force that it's going to be, as it's explained here, every island and mountain is moved out of its place. It would be an unprecedented earthquake that is going to shake this whole earth. It could involve volcanic activity. We're talking about something of a magnitude that the world has never seen before. It says that the sun is blacked out as if someone drops this burlap sack over it. The moon turns a deep blood red, which has been said that it's characteristic of volcanic activity and ash being put into the, into the sky. The sun or the moon turning as blood red. The sun being blacked out. The earth quakes. A violent earthquake and then the reference to the stars in the in the in the sky like shooting stars or like meter maybe these are just things being ejected from these volcanoes we don't know exactly but what i do believe that this is telling us this is something cladic, uh, that is of such a a huge proportion that this world has never seen it's going to be uh, something that is going to uh, completely shake this earth with eruptions from a volcano possibly or volcanoes and earthquakes themselves. It's interesting that God uses the shaking of this earth to actually shake the very foundation of a man's soul. For God to take this actual planet and actually shake its very foundations is for the purpose of shaking the very foundation of a man and woman's soul. We read in Revelation 8.5 that there's going to be another earthquake that's going to transpire. In Revelation 11.13, we read that there's going to be another, it's called a great earthquake. And then we read in Revelation chapter 16, each one of these earthquakes happens at the end of each one of these sets of judgments that come down upon this earth. Each one ends with an earthquake. And then the last one that we read in Revelation 16, 18, it says, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. 
What do you think that earthquake is going to look like since man were on the earth? And we finish this chapter with the shaking that is going to be going on in the hearts of man. Look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men and the rich men and the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You would think that these kings, that they would be crying out, Save us! Save us! But instead, they're crying out for the rocks to fall upon them and hide their hide them from the face of the one who sits on the throne. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four twenty nine. He says at the end of the tribulation period. He said immediately after the tribulation of those days. This is at the end of the seven year tribulation period. The sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. When I read my Bible, I read it for what it says. When I read my Bible, I look at this and, and, I, and I realize this is something that this world has never seen. It, will, it won't even experience this until this world is ushered into the tribulation period. But it will come. It will come to pass. These things will happen. And it should stir us. Not stir us with fear. It should stir our hearts with a, with a passion to want to tell people about Christ. To look at our world that we're in right now. Look how bad it is right now. And this is just a touch of what this world is going to experience during the tribulation period. We think, look how wicked our world is. And it doesn't even compare to what's going to come to pass. I have loved ones. I have family members that I love that do not know Christ. That it, I don't want to see them here. I don't want to see them go through it. And I believe that we're in days right now, it's time to pull the stops out, church, to get serious about what we see going on in our world right now. It's so easy to get bogged down with all the pressures of everything going on in our world right now. But this is a time to rise up, not a time to shrink back, 
Not a time to just, you know, kind of hunker down in our homes and stay away from all the problems out there. There's people that want to know. There's people that came into this parking lot on Saturday. They wanted prayer. They wanted help. You can come out for that, by the way, on a Saturday. Come out here and join those that are out here on a Saturday. People are walking into this parking lot saying, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family? Let the Lord use you in these days. We're going to continue on next week. You can read ahead. Revelation chapter 7. I think by the time that we get to the end of the book of Revelation, I'm not quite sure if we'll be here or not. <laughs> but... Uh, but anyway, we're going to make the attempt. Of, it will be interesting to see how far we get into the book of Revelation. But I'll tell you what, when you see these things come to pass, we need to be looking up. When you see the things that are just going on in our world, look up. Know that your redemption is drawing near. You're closer today than you were yesterday. Jesus Christ is coming back. And I hope that your heart is, is gripped with that fact. Let's have the uh, worship team come up. Close us. Father, I thank you that we can have complete confidence, trust in you with our, with our lives. You've saved us. You've saved us from the wrath to come. And Lord, we thank you for that. But Lord, we also pray. We pray for those family members. Those that need Christ desperately. Those that are being caught up into this world. To the lies of this world. God, our prayers that you would open their blinded eyes. Even as we consider our family members now, God, would you open their eyes to see? Would you give us opportunity this week to be a witness for you? To tell somebody that you're coming back. Lord, that we would just be unashamed of our faith, that we would make a bold stand for you. Lord, pour out your spirit upon your church, even now. Fill us, Lord, to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you.